0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Creator God, we have come this morning in the murky mist, the darkness of the shadowy day, full of moisture and rain. We, we give thanks that we can get here safely. We are glad to come into this brightly lit place full of uh, the love of Christ, full of hope, full of friendships and loved ones and new friends to be made. We ask that you would give us the power of your spirit this day to go back into the murky world sometimes and to be That light, a night light, a daybreak, a sunshine to others who are hurting and reaching for hope and help. We ask that you would continue to inspire us, charge our batteries throughout this season of Lent that's approaching as we culminate now in the season of Epiphany as fully lit. We pray that that light will go into the desert with us and we can continue to be the sign of hope and new life wherever we go. In your name we ask. Amen what a week! What a week! So, when I say that, I can imagine you envision a variety of events from your own life. Many things could have happened in your life this week, but most of us in Philly were consumed by getting ready for the parade and getting to the parade and celebrating the Eagles championship on Thursday morning. Free from school, legitimately, and from work for many, fans caught trains, I can't imagine, at 4 a.m. in the dark to be able to stand in the front row on the art museum stairs at the end of the parade eight hours later or more. Passionate fans I read in the paper even brought their deceased parents' urns or relatives' urns of ashes to pour out on JFK Boulevard where their dad always wanted to be there at a victory like this and they could now be there when the underdogs passed by. The excitement and the sense of history in the making was Contagious, almost everyone felt it, even through the television set. You know, a preacher has to declare this morning, Philly's fans and the city itself were just plain transfigured since this Super Bowl. Everybody's talking about the capacity we actually have to be good citizens and not damage things and and greet one another and uh, do the best for everybody's health and well-being. It's a new day. It's a new day for the Eagles and fans, and now on to the White House for most, and they're letting the world know they'll be back uh, in spades. Now, don't you think the gospel today is equally earth-shaking? I mean, it's no less than a genuine miracle that is taking place on the mountaintop. It's Jesus' blinding mountaintop transfiguration event. Peter, James, and John are standing with Jesus alone, and then his clothes become dazzling white. Enter old, long-time prophets, hall-of-fame prophets Elijah and Moses, huddled with Jesus. A cloud overshadows everyone, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Oddly, there were no thousands of cheering fans standing around until daybreak, no after parties, not even Elijah and Moses hung out until the end of the gig. Jesus is endorsed right on the spot, in the spotlight, and he's no less than called the Son of God. And there's only three fans who are on top of it warned to tell no one about what they had seen till after the resurrection. I wonder how many of the Philly fans could have told no one about what happened on Thursday. Just go home and be quiet. We had them come to confirmation that it was Thursday night confirmation. We held our breath to see if we'd have any students appearing because many of them were on the trains at 4 a.m. or their parents. And we were told you can wear your jerseys. We're going to talk about football somehow. In the midst of it, even Asha, the presenter, had on a jersey and pants. I've never seen her in a jersey before. It was stunning. And actually, the students showed up pretty well. We were very, very grateful. So it's an an odd thing to be quiet, to tell no one what has taken place until after the resurrection. But you might understand why the disciples might get it all mixed up misinterpret what's happened and make it harder for Jesus to get the message out in the way he had hoped. So he asks them to keep silent. Let's dig deeper. God knows his son is soon headed for crucifixion and death in Mark's gospel reading. But these horrors will not extinguish the endorsement Jesus hears with the floodlight shining. He is God's son. His quarterback His ace in the hole, his home run, come to save the world. And God has everlasting plans, and Jesus holds the playbook. But the disciples will have to listen, continue to listen to him and trust God. Trust God is with them when they go back down from the mountaintop and on to the desert and on to Jerusalem and on to the crucifixion and the trial and the devastation of their dreams and hopes. And we, Jesus, modern disciples, face a constant onslaught of forces wanting to divide us, to distract us from our spiritual goals. Our culture tempts us to earn more and more for true happiness. Students are pressured to take AP classes, to get into the best schools, to get into jobs in the best companies. Our politics cause divisions, mistrust, prejudice, and paralysis. But this morning, Jesus calls us to stay strong, spiritually, above all, work out, keeping those discipleship muscles toned and ripped by listening to him over the din, of the marketplace. We are about to begin the season of Lent on Wednesday, as you know, when we will um, often give up toxic foods in our diet or take on some spiritual practices, devotional readings at home that will keep us more in shape to be attuned to God's call. As an old Pentecostal saying goes, It ain't how high folks jump in church that's making them Christian. It's what they do when they hits the ground. Or the test of our faith is, yes, worshiping, but what we do on Monday morning at work and at play reveals whom we worship as well. I know for many it's really tempting to hunker down nowadays with a book put on all sorts of movies. Now it'll be the Olympics that will kind of distract us from all the nation's news that are so in flux every day is new headlines. The growing opioid crisis, the wars in Syria, in Yemen, the stock markets (laughs) crashed and then it's rising and then it's moderate and then it's another thing. But Jesus is the one who needs us all in our own ways to come down off the mountaintop and come alongside those who need to see the light. Not to lock ourselves up, but to re-enter the darkness, to bring hope, consolation, some word uh, from Jesus that could bring recovery. Those who are without hope need us. We are called from our baptism to let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In her memoir, Things Seen and Unseen, A Year Lived in Faith, author Nora Gallagher describes her attempts to ignite her own faith. She went on a mission trip to Nicaragua, and in this poor country, she worked in a hospital that had barely an aspirin and no supplies. But she saw a strange equality People written off elsewhere were valued and worthy in this community. She met a man who gave up crime and drugs to teach a literacy program for children. She met a Swedish woman who refused to return home because everyone counts here. Nora was changing, and as she returned to Santa Barbara, her home, she too began to notice folks that she had never seen before. A Latino gardener, a dishwasher in the restaurant, an old man at the bus stop. And she confessed, what I yearned for was to embody my shaky faith, to feel my faith in my flesh acted out incarnate. St. Francis sealed his conversion, it said, by kissing a leper on the mouth. Doris Day went to the slums of New York and founded the Catholic Workers' Society. And then Nora started work in a local soup kitchen. And the priest there asked her, Nora, are you willing to be unformed Hmm. I'm not sure what that means are you willing to be unformed recreated in a new way and she responded I am I wonder if in Lent we might also think about being unformed again Breaking the mold of what we're always doing, when we're doing it, why we're doing it, and re examine things again. Be that fresh lump of clay that can be reshaped by God for a new mission, a new outreach, new hope, new design. Nora felt light going on in the darkness. She prayed daily and she felt a hand against her back, a presence, sort of, a presence making her new reshaping her, perhaps for the first time, into a true follower of Christ, not sitting on the bench, but into the game, his game, and shedding light for others wherever she went. A pastor, Donald Booz, said, The Lenten journey will follow the way out of comfort, complacency, and self-aggrandizement through risk all the way to the resurrection. My fellow disciples, may Christ shed light on your path this Transfiguration Day, a light that will carry you into the more meditative part of Lent and on to Easter. Perhaps you will become unformed. Take the risk. Take a new assignment that might touch your heart completely in a new way. Be open and let the Spirit lead you out of comfort. Yes, into risk. And all that with the love of God. All the way to Easter morn. You will be transfigured. So go. Go. Go disciples. Go. Make it to the finish line. Amen.